This is an ABC podcast. Hi, it's All in the Mind on RN. I'm Lynn Malcolm with the next in our series featuring highlights from my time in the hot seat of All in the Mind. In this program from 2017, what happens in families when a parent becomes mentally ill? Sometimes my mummy has very happy days. She laughs and laughs and talks to me all day long. She hardly stops talking and she wants to do everything except sleep. Sometimes my mummy has very sad days. She cries and cries and hardly talks to me at all. She's very quiet and she doesn't want to do anything besides stay in bed or sleep. When mummy keeps on laughing or crying and she can't stop, daddy says it means she's sick. He says her brain isn't working properly and she can't look after herself or me. He says she needs help to get better. That's from the children's picture book, My Happy Sad Mummy. It tells the story from a little girl's perspective about living with her mum who has bipolar disorder. The author, Michelle Vassalou, explains why she wrote My Happy Sad Mummy. It was almost a matter of need for me. I was first diagnosed with bipolar in 2007 and I had a manic episode and ended up in hospital. And at the time, my children were three and six years of age. And being a children's author, we had a lot of picture books in our house and we used to spend a lot of time reading those together. So when I got ill, I asked the hospital staff, the nurses, if there was a a picture book about bipolar specifically or mental illness in general. And um, there's only a handful of books in the world and most of those were outdated, extremely hard to source. So basically there wasn't anything that suited my needs. I wanted a book there that would explain what was happening to me. So when I got out of hospital, I decided to, to write one. And it's based on my own experiences. So it was very much for my own children as well as the readers that it's now pitched at. One day, Mummy and I worked in the garden for ages. We pulled out weeds and planted flower seeds. Then I got tired and fell asleep under the orange tree. When Daddy came home and carried me to bed, Mummy was still working in the garden. She wouldn't stop or come inside. Not even when Daddy said she needed to stop. One day, I saw a stem poking out of the ground. I wanted Mummy to come and see, but she was too tired. So I picked the stem and brought it to her. She hardly looked at it. Sometimes she needs to take medicine. Sometimes she needs to go to hospital. Then doctors and nurses look after her. And Daddy and Grandma and Grandpa look after me. Michelle Vassalou has been very unwell with bipolar disorder since her two children were quite young. Over the years, she spent a lot of time in hospital, which has made it very difficult for her to be the parent she'd like to be. But no matter how ill, she's only too aware of how her condition might be affecting her kids. Well, in the early days, they were only six and three, and people would say that Little ones like that can't pick up on your behaviour, but research has shown that even babies can recognise a mother's mental illness. 
And my little one expressed that in she used to get crayons and black crayons and do circles. She would just do circles with the crayons. And um, she got quite a bit of counselling and they told me at the time that each time I came out of hospital she'd be a little bit distant and they said that's quite normal because she'd be afraid of getting close to me in case I had to go back to hospital again. So there's that readjustment period each time I came in and out of hospital. My son also received counselling and that helped him a lot. He's been extremely resilient through the whole thing. He became very affectionate and would just say to me, especially as he's got older, it's okay, mum, it's going to be all right. Gives me hugs, kisses, helps out as much as he can. So he's nearly 16 now. So it's actually made him, I think, a lot more sensitive and resilient than he would have been otherwise. So Mm. that's one plus with the illness, I guess. And my daughter's doing really well now. She's nearly 12. They've almost come to expect not to have me around. That's how ill I've been over the last 28 months. So they've become very independent. So while you're in the height of your illness, well, the high or the low of your illness, Mm -hmm. do you have an awareness at the time that you're affecting the kids or is it just so consuming for you that it's not an issue at the time? No, it's always paramount at the back of my mind. A lot of guilt, carry a lot of guilt. And then when I'm well, I try to make up for it and sometimes that can be quite dangerous because I might become too busy and stressed and that can be a trigger for me. So I have to always try and have balance in my life. And I struggle now even to remember what I did when I was manic, but I did quite a few embarrassing things for the children and my husband. At one stage it got so bad, my husband was thinking of divorcing me because I was just out of control, and that was with the mania. The depression is all-consuming, debilitating. I get suicidal, and that's why I end up in hospital. I never really want to die, but I just want the pain to go away, and that's hard to explain to the children. I don't talk about feeling suicidal, obviously, because that would scare them. And so how have you tried to explain it to your children? Well, in the early days, my own book helped a lot because it had the pictures and they would see what I had actually done, as in frantic activity, not stopping, depressed states and why that occurred. And in very simple terms, we would just explain that mum's brain was not working properly and as a result, she couldn't look after herself or her children and that's why she needs to take medicine or or go to hospital. Now that they're older, we use the proper terms, as in bipolar, depression, mania. Michelle Vassalou. Dr Mark Cross is a consultant psychiatrist in Sydney and a board member of SANE Australia. You may also remember him from the ABC TV series called Changing Minds. He says supporting families in which a parent has a mental illness is of major importance. Well, this is a big issue and I'm glad we're talking about it because, you know, if you look at the stats, 20 to 23% of Australian children will be living with at least one parent, 
with mental illness. So it's a big statistic. So children of parents with mental illness need quite a lot of support. It's about social support, community integration, and looking at a holistic way of helping these families. Dr Mark Cross explains the dynamics that can develop in these family relationships. So parents with mental illness depends on the acuity of their symptoms as well. So, so often, for instance, with somebody with depression, they'll have difficulty getting out of bed in the morning, motivating themselves, and they have difficulty in then thinking about the needs of other people in their households, including their children. Or in fact, they'll overthink their needs and feel so guilty and dreadful that they are unable to be their normal parent that they want to be. So that starts impacting things quite a bit. And then the child, depending on how old they are, will have some sort of understanding as well. And often, in my experience, and this is borne out by research, children of parents with mental illness become more mature earlier on because they have to deal with a lot more than they would have to in an age-appropriate way. Yes, so children actually can become carers of their parents. Yes, and, and of course, you look at protective factors, the factors that we look at internally, genetic and temperament of the child resilience, and then there are external factors, the stresses involved. And those children who do better are those that are more intelligent, but they also have a better understanding of social development and, and they socialise better. And that's actually been shown in a lot of research to actually be quite protective in itself. But they do, they become carers. And that's often the case over my years in psychiatry. You talk to sometimes adults, uh, carers of their parents, and they've gone, well, I've been doing this since I was at primary school. So what are some of the detrimental ways in which children can be affected? Well, as with anything, if you're not going to get the necessary attention from a parent, because in essence the parent's withdrawn, say in depression, that's going to have an effect on the child's development. And it can affect their own mood and also attention and age-appropriate development. In a more severe case, say when somebody's psychotic, that can obviously impact on day-to-day living with a child, especially if they're paranoid and have delusional thinking. And whilst children do love it when their parent, say, gets high and has lots of energy and bouncing around with them or whatever, their routines get completely taken over and they don't get enough sleep and they find that they're missing school because the parent's taking them on trips when they really should be in school, things like that. And it's just a general rule of thumb. A child needs consistency and routine and that gets blown when the adult's not there in a way. Are there cases in which it can put the children at risk of developing mental illness? Yes, because if you, well, if you look at how illness develops, there's always that nature versus nurture debate. So you have a genetic loading. So in, in families, obviously, where mental illness is already present, that already gives a vulnerability to the child of developing something. But, of course, there's the external factor. So growing up with these tumultuous, at times, difficulties 
that the child has to experience that leads to emotional and other difficulties at the time too. And you mentioned that parents often feel guilty and guilt isn't a very productive emotion, is it? What sort of advice can you give about managing an emotion like guilt? That's a hard one and of course that is so prevalent in so many people but at the end of the day it's about picking up the pieces, being open with your family, going, look, mommy or daddy has just gone through a really difficult time let's formulate a plan. It's about being open and communicating and not trying to hide things. That's definitely more detrimental to a child, pretending nothing's going on or mommy's going away. Why would mommy go away? Children fantasize about cause and effect and they often will themselves think, oh my God, it's my fault mommy's going away. Talk about guilt. Children can have a horrible guilt. So the the recommendation is that as much as possible, families need to be honest with the children about this illness and what it is. Absolutely. Dr Mark Cross. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You're with All in the Mind on RN. I'm Lynn Malcolm. Today we're hearing about family relationships when a parent has a mental illness. Kylie Griffin was diagnosed with schizophrenia when her two daughters were six months and two and a half years old. After years of treatment and hospitalisation, she was re-diagnosed with bipolar disorder. As a single parent, she's had to grapple with looking after her girls in the best way she could. Madeline and Emily are now 18 and nearly 20 and still live with their mum. Kylie Griffin and her daughter Emily describe how things have been. One of the big problems I had was I was hearing voices and then I also was on a huge amount of medication. So I ended up with the girls sleeping with me every night because I was really scared that I wouldn't wake if they needed me. And also so that they could, they would sing and help distract the voices. I had extreme fatigue. I was really lethargic from the high doses of antipsychotics. So the girls would often just watch telly or do something and I'd be snapping, which... You know, there's a lot of guilt over having to operate like that. So, Emily, when did you first realise that your mum had a mental illness or she was behaving differently to the way perhaps your friend's parents were behaving? Yeah. So the first memory, I was just saying this to mum the other day, the first memory I have of there being something going on is actually in kindergarten where I was always the last child to be picked up and I remember packing up the kinder room with the teachers and I've later come to know that that was because mum would be asleep and they would have to ring her and get her to um, come and get me but it was just due to the fatigue um, that she'd fall asleep. You know from a young age we've known that it's been a mental illness she's never tried to hide it from us she's always been very honest with us and has answered any questions that we've ever had. The only thing I did keep from them was the suicidality when um, I was it's just over a year now since I told them that I had some of those feelings mm. and Emily said that she'd sort of thought about it as that I wanted to leave them but it was actually them that kept me going. I don't think I would be alive if I didn't have two children. Emily, that must have been really frightening to have yeah. the thoughts that your mother might not be there for you anymore. Yeah. 
and that all the um, mental health work and all the medication was to stop her from, you know, leaving us. Yeah, I was really upset by that. Madeline, on the other hand, she was very proud of mum, and so was I, but I was a bit more emotional about it, you know, saying that we're so proud that she was able to get the help that she needed to not do that and um, realise that that wasn't the right thing to do, really, because we were two girls that would need a mother. And, yeah. And your mother was mentioning that you and Madeline, your sister, used to sleep with your mother. Yep. Tell me about that and what you used to do for her to try and help her drown out the voices she was hearing. One of our favourite songs to sing was... Um, you Are My Sunshine. Yeah, You Are My Sunshine. And Madeline and I would sit on either side of Mum in the bed and sing that to her and help her to drown out the voices that she was hearing. Yeah, and Mum's bed was our safe place where we, we would laugh or we would cry and just be able to talk about anything. Um, yeah. Kylie, that must have been amazing to feel that your daughters were doing that sort of thing to help you through. Yeah, and this is where um, mental health staff and stuff don't seem to have understood it, but I identify as having Emily caring for me when she was five years old. Just some of the tactics that we had to use to keep me functioning at a level that we could all stay together. And some people don't want to recognise they poo-hoo that, but I've got a very strong conviction that she was a carer at that age. And as they've changed medication and time's gone on, I'm no, no longer a voice hearer. And I'm hoping that for someone out there that that might mean something to them that perhaps they could be fortunate enough that their voices leave as well. I hope that offers some people some hope. So, Emily, how did you and your sister Madeline feel about being carers to your mother? Well, it's all we've ever known, so I've never been ashamed of it or anything and, you know, I've never kept it from close friends and we've always been honest about it. Uh, and you've just been different roles, haven't you, really? Yeah, we've got different roles, so I'm more of the um, emotional support and Madeline's very practical and loves to get up and cleaning and, you know, motivating. She's very motivating. Yeah, we've just got our different roles sort of in the household. But were there ways in which you felt that you were being let down by your mother? I don't think so. I, I don't see it as that she held us back from anything. She's always tried to um, make sure that we had a reasonably normal childhood and we had support from grandparents and close friends and family that ensured that if mum couldn't get us somewhere, then someone always could. We've always had a great network of support around us. Mm, so and how I, important was that, the rest of the family? Oh, very important. I think that that allowed us to not grow up and be angry with mum that all we did through our childhood was care for her. So having those support and other people to talk to was really great. And did you feel that at any time that you were embarrassed in front of your friends about your mother being different? No, I don't think so. Because it is all we've ever known, I I, um, I wouldn't know what it is like to have a mother without a mental illness. It's not something that I would, you know, tell every person that I meet. I would, you know, it's my close friends that I tell with no shame, but it's not something I feel like I need to tell everyone. Um, but now we sort of are. <laughs> <laughs> And you mentioned guilt, that guilt goes with this, Kylie. Yes. How did you deal with that feeling of being guilty about your ability to be a good parent? By talking, I kept telling people the guilt that I was feeling. When I am become manic, I believe I'm in contact with my dead mother. 
who I was very close to and I get messages from the television and the radio and things like that and then coming out of that I would just have this huge guilt like dad would get some groceries and Madeline would be cooking the meals and I was at sleeping at 17 hours a day at one stage yeah having to rely it's just the wrong way round and I'd had good parents and I sort of felt that I wasn't living up to that. But when I'm well, I don't feel guilty. I just get on with the job. And, um, you know, like I said, I work. And you've studied. Yeah, and I've studied a diploma in community welfare work. So, Emily, what are the worst times that you've been through in relation to your mum's illness? The worst time for the three of us, I think, is when mum goes into hospital. Just that being apart is stressful. Yeah, and during schooling it was hard. Was it that you missed her, that you didn't like to be away from her or were you particularly worried about her because she was away? I think both because like, we knew that she would be in you know, sort of great distress so we knew that she would be feeling guilty and we've always said, you know, don't because we don't feel any shame or anger towards her. You know, she hasn't chosen this. so, And we always had family to help us get to school and stuff so that was never an issue. It was just being apart and... It's always been the three of us, so we've always been so close. Madeline has said to me that she reckons she does a better job of caring for me um, <laughs> than, than the hospital. So, yeah. Um, so, Emily, do you think that living with your mother with a mental illness has affected your own mental health or your sister's mental health? I don't think so. Uh, at the moment, I just feel very proud of my mother. I don't feel like it's really changed me for the worse and that I'll struggle or anything You're very so, mature yeah mature kids really yeah, I feel like it, it hasn't yeah I feel like it hasn't had a big negative impact it sounds like you've become very resilient as a result of it yeah I'd mm. say so yeah I'd mm. say so too I mean I couldn't be more proud but they're um caring and kind to everybody Emma are you and Madeline still living at home with your mother yes we yeah. both are Yeah, working on saving money and she's 18 and I'm nearly 20. So I think that we might stay with her for a couple more years, maybe. (laughs) Are you worried Um, about leaving home and leaving your mum alone? um, Yes, I am. I feel that it'll go from three to one, but of course we'll always be there for her and keep in contact always. But I feel that she also has a lot of support through family and through organisations and things around Aubrey-Wodonga and that if she was going through a tough time that she had plenty of support around. And Kylie, how do you feel about that prospect of of the girls leaving home? Um, I, like any mother, want them to be happy and I just want them to go and have their own time in the sun sort of thing and not worry about me. So I'm, I'm in a good place ready for them to spread their wings and do what they want to do. But I'm happy to have them at home for as long as they want to be at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Kylie Griffin and her daughter Emily say that one of the biggest changes they'd like to see for parents with a mental illness is around the taboo and discrimination that still exists. We're working to decrease the amount of um, stigma and raise awareness and I feel that there is still a lot of stigma around, and there may be for a long time but I feel that some... TV shows, some of those crime TV shows, <laughs> um, we laugh at where the the murderer is off his medication. Cri- criminal Minds is a bit of a joke for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, oh my god, how can you misrepresent people so badly yeah. and still get away with it? Yeah, the movie Split that's out at the moment. Um, these things are all doing so much damage to people's perceptions of what mental illness is, yeah. and we're not violent. 
you know, we're so much more likely to be acted against rather than cause any problem, but it's out there so badly. Yeah. Kylie Griffin, who's a board member for SANE Australia, and her daughter, Emily Blake. Psychiatrist Dr Mark Cross says that the key to improving the lives of families that are affected by mental illness is to ensure that they have good networks around them. You have to have support. So it's about social isolation and dealing with feelings of guilt and shame. And then the outside world has a lot to do with that. So school, teachers, community, social support groups, you know, have to be aware that if somebody is experiencing difficulties, well, you don't withdraw from them and treat them like pariahs. And of course, this is even worse in refugee populations, immigrant populations in single parent households. And whilst the wonderful single parents that I've met, they can feel incredibly isolated and lack support if there's not that great of family network. And so when people come into hospital, it starts right from the professional level. You have to ask about family situation at home. What's happening with your children? Make sure that, you know, those things have all been taken care of. How can you expect somebody to get better in hospital when they're constantly worrying about my children? And that's where better working together, interagency working is of the essence. So my college, the Royal Australian New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, even last year, brought out a mission statement about this fact. And of course, there are cultural differences and we've got to be aware of them. And sometimes culturally, mental illness is still seen as a taboo and it's a real problem. And they feel even more isolated and feel that they can't actually say anything because they'll be judged. It's a dreadful thing, you know, it's a dreadful thing feeling judged and guilty and feeling alone. Dr Mark Cross, psychiatrist and board member for SANE Australia. The author, Michelle Vassalou, feels lucky that her family has been so supportive through her mental illness. She dedicates her book to her husband and two children. And the exact wording is, to my two cheeky chops, Isabel and Ben, and my enduring rock, Mihai, who's my husband. And he's stuck by me for the last 16 years and I've been pretty revolting at certain times and the amount of times I've been in hospital, he's always been there. So that's why I call him my rock. So how would you like this book to be used? I'd really like to see it in psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, in their rooms so that when the patients go there, they've got something that they can use if they've got younger children to explain bipolar. I also would like to see it in primary schools and kindergartens, which it is, but I'd like to see it just to start up conversations with children who parents don't have a mental illness so that they're aware that there are families that are different and get discussions started when they're really young about mental illness so that's not such a taboo subject. And that's my hope and my dream. Michelle Vassalou. One day I saw flowers growing on the stems. I wanted Mummy to see that she was in hospital, so I picked some and brought them to her. She gave me lots and lots of kisses. Sometimes Mummy's very happy, sometimes she's very sad. Sometimes mummy's in hospital, sometimes she's at home. 
But always, I love her, and I know she loves me too. Michelle Vassilou's book, My Happy Sad Mummy, won the 2016 Australian Association of Family Therapists Award for children's literature in the category of Young Reader's Picture Book. Head to the All in the Mind website for further links and information relating to today's episode. There's a range of organisations offering good support and online resources, including SANE Australia and COPME, which is the acronym for Children of Parents with a Mental Illness. Thanks to Mika Nielsen for the readings today and to producer Diane Dean and sound engineer Marty Peralta. I'm Lynn Malcolm. Bye for now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.